Hello, and welcome to the Art of Autism podcast. My guest on the program today is Corey Singer, who is a singer and a songwriter and a, uh, I don't know, how would you say it, Corey? TikTok star? <laughs> uh, I'd say more influencer. Uh, <laughs> maybe a star. I don't, I don't know, but, uh, you know. I- I'm on there. I don't I don't know the world of TikTok very well. 185,000 followers sounds like a lot to me, but it might be a drop in the bucket compared to the real stars. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it took me about a year uh just to get to that point. So, uh through a lot of hard work and dedication. So, uh you know, I'm I'm, I'm very proud of it even though I'm not the biggest uh content creator. I'm still proud of it. So, Sure. And that really gives you a huge platform to be able to educate people on. I mean, you do more than educate people about autism, but that is one of the main topics of your videos. So that's certainly reaching a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily hear that information otherwise. Yeah, exactly. And that actually happened by accident. I wasn't planning on becoming uh, an influencer in the autism community. I was trying to promote my music and that wasn't working. So I tried to put up just some basic funny stuff and I had a little success from that. But then I made a joke about my autism because I was diagnosed with Asperger syndrome when I was about four years old. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I have Asperger syndrome and, and said what it was about. And I said, you know, I'm proud of it and I wouldn't change a thing except for the name because it sounds like Asperger's. It sounds right. like a, a bowel movement you would have after eating McDonald's, McAsperger's. <laughs> You're not loving it. And no. uh, <laughs> exactly. So uh that went viral and then i posted another thing about autism it just kind of picked up so i just started talking about my personal experience having it and it just you know went from there yeah that's awesome so let's uh i'd love to talk a little bit more about your music because that was you know like you said that was your original uh uh, goal is to promote your wonderful music. Do you feel like you were kind of destined to be a singer given that your your last name is singer uh, probably, uh, I, I don't think too much about it. I think, you know, I, maybe I am, I've always been able to sing naturally. Uh, what happened, my mom and I are watching TV and this opera singer was on the P- TV was paused and I, I just started emulating the singer by emulated it. Well, my mom thought it was the TV, but it, it was actually me. Oh wow! And, uh, I became the theater kid in school. I was in all the plays and all that, but it wasn't until high school where people actually started to notice, Hey, this guy could sing. So, um, you, you know, I just, you know, that was my thing and I was good at it. And that's what gained me respect in, in school. Because when you're, when you're autistic in school, you're considered the weird kid, the outcast and all that. But what got me noticed and respected was my talent on, on the stage. So you you know, it, it, it got me far in school. Yeah. Yeah. I don't perform much anymore. I'm more on the writing side, but that was definitely, uh, the, the theater was a, a safe haven for me growing up. And I feel like that oh, surprises people sometimes because it's like, well, what do you mean you're autistic? I thought that meant you can't pick up on social cues, but actually <laughs> a rehearsal room is the only space where if something doesn't, if a social interaction doesn't go right, you can say, well, let's, let's try that again a different way. <laughs> you know, that works exactly. less well at a party. <laughs> exactly. And uh, uh, David Byrne, the lead singer of The Talking Heads, who's also autistic, he, he they asked him about it, too. Like, it seems like such a strange, like, job to be a performer with autistic. He goes, no, like, you know, when you, you know, struggle to find a way to express yourself, you know, when, you know, when you learn it through an art form, it becomes your way of expressing yourself. You know what I mean? So yeah. 
think that's why I took to songwriting as well. It's because I was able to write down my thoughts and feelings on paper uh, through song. So, yeah. uh, you, you know, people find it strange that we like to perform, but it's actually very common because yeah. we we like to be funny. So, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of one of the purposes of this podcast is to kind of, I mean, you know, not so much to dispel the stereotype about autistic people not being artistic, but just to kind of, you know, shine a light on the fact that this is such a big part of our community that I think people, it's not what people think of at first when they think of of autism. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not particularly good at math and science. Me neither. I actually did a video about that recently on TikTok. Like, autism stereotypes annoy me. The math and science nerd. It's like, apparently we're synonymous with being math and science nerds. Like, no, I, I nearly failed that in high school. So... Yeah, me it's, too. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, I'm a nerd when it comes to, like, my special interests, like movies, theater, TV shows, guitars, what certain guitarists play and all that. But, you, you know, everything else, I just, like, no, nah, I can't do it. <laughs> let's uh, let's get into that a little bit. Um, so what are some of your, are you a musical guy, primarily in terms of theater? Well, you know, I like all the older musicals. I haven't kept up with all the newer stuff that came out, but you know, the stuff that I like, I like learned everything about it. And mm-hmm. you know, that's what I was primarily. And I think that influenced my songwriting a lot. Because what are, hear... Go ahead. What are some of your what are some of your favorite musicals? Okay. Uh Sweeney Todd, uh Company, Into the Woods, What's That Story? All this uh, most of them is Sondheim. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I noticed the pattern. <laughs> yeah, non-Sondheim, uh, Cabaret, which oh, I yeah. love. Uh, Cabaret's I that, amazing. I did that my high school, uh, my freshman year. I was Herr Schultz, and my high school crush was Fraulein Schneider, so you must have, you know, I was excited about that. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? Um, Hairspray. Uh, we actually did that in high school. Uh, I was Edna Turnblad. Uh how to succeed in business without really trying assassins um like Kaja fall i saw that on broadway actually wow. spam lots really good the producers is like in my opinion one of the funniest shows ever written oh yeah yeah so and there's a underrated one called closer than never i don't know that show what's that about so it's basically i forgot i forgot the guys who wrote it but uh they're both composers and lyricists and it's a musical review where musical reviews are basically they take songs from different shows and put them together in a show but these songs are written specifically for the show and they're not telling a storyline specifically like each song is its own storyline so Hmm. like each song is a different character like there's a song called miss bird and her story is just through, told through that song. And there's a song about like a creepy stalker dude and his story is told through that song. So I definitely, it's one of my favorite soundtracks ever. I definitely recommend it. Cool. Um, could you talk a little bit about how musical theater has influenced your songwriting? Because you're not a musical theater songwriter, uh, at least not to my knowledge. And yet I do feel like in your music, like in, in your song, someone i i hear a little bit of influence of musical theater so could you talk a little bit about kind of how musicals find their way into your songwriting now sure well you know in musical theater you know when you're singing a song you're playing a character essentially you're singing that song through the character's perspective and so when i write a song i'm telling a story i like the storyline aspect of it you know Mm mm-hmm Cause like 
each song you could take out of context and it can sound good in a, in a Broadway show, but it works better in context with the show. Yeah. It's telling a story. And that's basically kind of like that one musical review I told you about closer than ever. Uh, that's how it works. Like I write a song, it's telling its own little story, like everything you need to know, like with someone and the way it's orchestrated. And I'm basically saying like, I need someone to love me as I am. And so, uh, you know, when I write the songs, you know, people say these could work in a Broadway show. I'm like, they probably could. So is that something just, you've, is that something you've thought about if writing a musical? I've thought about it. Uh, I don't know how to read music per se. I just know how to pick up a guitar, write a good melody, put lyrics over it. Well, I have a friend who's a pretty successful musical theater composer who doesn't read music and and what uh, he will do is is just send a demo to uh, somebody who's, you know, has perfect pitch and everything and he'll write the arrangement of it. So don't let oh, that absolutely. stop. If that's if that's what's stopping you, uh, you know, it is a surmountable obstacle. I'll say that's cool. And there's also like you got to come up with a story overall. What oh, you yeah. Do with that story, the characters and who sings what. And yeah, so like I, I imagine it'll be a daunting process. I'd like to tackle it one day. So. Yeah. Musicals are extremely hard to write. I'll say that. It's not like, you know, if you can write a song, you can write a musical. But yeah, I, I, I thought with your background in musical theater, that might be an, uh, an organic uh, step for you to take. Yeah, probably one day. Um, I'm just focused on writing songs and recording songs I've already written mm -hmm. and just putting them out there right now. Because yeah. with, with COVID, the dream was I'm in New Jersey. And the dream was to like, before COVID, go to New York, just jump right into theater, pursue that full time, you know, and acting in general. And, but then I was in two productions in New Jersey, but COVID happened. So that stopped. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'm already writing songs. That's already a thing I do. I could just put all my focus on that. And so. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that this had been a, a COVID influence decision to, to record these songs and, and put them out like that. Well, I, I was recording songs. I took a six-year break from theater, actually, to focus on songwriting. And then I went back to theater, and I just, like, rediscovered my love for it again. And, you know, I still I still wrote some songs on the side, but then COVID shut down theater overall. And so now, for me, I'm a performer, right? I, I'm a creator. Mm -hmm. I'm an artist overall. Like, if you're a performer, you're an artist. And so I couldn't do this art form, but I got this other art form that I'm good at and I could, you know, do, I now have the time to do it. So let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Could you talk about the process, uh, like with your song, someone of, of how you got that recorded? Because I, there are a lot of instruments on it. I assume you're not playing all of them. So how did you find uh, collaborators to work on that song with you? I wrote the song myself just with my guitar and a pen and piece of paper. And, you know, I wrote it based off my struggle, my personal struggles with autism. And uh, I also wrote it uh, based on my conjunction with being lonely through the pandemic and all that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mostly the autism and the song basically wrote itself. I came up with the melody on the guitar, which is basically how all my songs start. I, I come up with the melody and I just got honest in the song and I sent it over to a guy named Yiku Shek who's an amazing uh, songwriter himself. And he's a, he plays instruments and all that. He came up with the instrumentation and I went to the studio here in New Jersey to record the vocals and do a, a bunch of different vocal takes. And we sent the vocal stems to Viku and 
he edited it and put it together and yeah that that's how it uh, happened awesome yeah you there's a line in there that you quoted earlier where you said i need someone to love me as i am and i feel like that's an example of of like you were talking about a, a line that takes on a different meaning when you know the context of you know, you're an autistic person yeah. um of you know everybody wants someone to love them who as they are but that can sometimes seem like a little bit more of a of a daunting quest when uh when your brain works differently than the majority of people exactly exactly because you know like i'm neurotypically passing so when people find out i'm autistic like oh yeah i wouldn't have picked up that you were autistic and but when a lot of times when people do find that out uh, i don't know if you've experienced this andrew when you know they find that out they start treating you different like you can't Uh comprehend everything they treat you like a baby they they act weird around you the perception of you changes instead of treating you how they thought you were before you told them you were autistic and yeah you know it's very it can be discouraging but uh you know i just you know keep at it because i know you know there will be someone out there who just doesn't care but like that that's part of why I stuck with talking about it on TikTok to show the perception. Like there are people with autism who are unable to take care of themselves, but we are not all like that. Like we always say, if you've met one person on the spectrum, you've only met one person on the spectrum mm-hmm. and we're all different. All our needs are different. Like I drive, I work a full-time job. I'm a singer songwriter. I'm a performer. You know, I have my struggles in life, but just like someone who is an autistic, you know, we, we all have our own personal struggles. So, yeah, for sure. You know, there's that misconception that we are, uh, we can't take care of ourselves. And it's like not always the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, so a lot of the people I've talked to for this show were diagnosed relatively late in life. And you said you weren't, you were diagnosed when you were four. So you did never deal with this sort of thing of like wondering why you couldn't, you know, understand these things that seem so obvious to other people. Do you feel like that, that has been beneficial to you being diagnosed so early in your life? Well, I, I was diagnosed early in life. And, but the thing is when I was younger, I couldn't comprehend it very well. You know, I didn't uh-huh comprehend what it meant to be autistic what it it, it was like and you know i in a way i i have something in common with latent diagnosed in life people where i i knew i had autism you know asperger's but i didn't understand it until like i started doing more research about it for tiktok i'm like okay it explains so much because my parents didn't even know that much about it Mm -hmm. so uh you know but you know, like it, it helped me understand more about myself. And there's a movie that I actually just talked about called Adam. Yeah. Is, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I remember when it came out, the guy's like really into space or something. Is that? Yeah. Right? And yeah. in the end of the movie, you know, it's the first time I was personally able to relate to a movie character because I had Asperger's, he has Asperger's. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like the, those moments were like, he's just info dumping and talking so much about space and the other person is getting so overwhelmed by all the information coming their way. Yeah. And like, cause I can, I can relate to that cause I've done that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the problem with the movie I have is that they show in order for him to succeed in life and get far in life is to mask his autism. Yeah. And that, that spoiler alert, by the way, and that's, you know, he gets a job in the end of the movie. Like he's, you know, living independently, he's taking care of himself, 
but he's masking his autism. It's like, that's when I was younger, it was like, okay, so that's what I have to do to get by. And yeah. so, you know, like as I've gotten older and done more research myself and reached out to other people, I've learned to mask less and less. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I feel like a lot of like neurotypical people assume that the way you grow as an autistic person is you get better and better at masking. But actually, a lot of autistic people feel like I've gotten better and better at not masking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. it's exactly. Masking it's is such a detriment. And I talk about this a lot uh, mm -hmm. where it it's is exhausting. A, it's totally exhausting. It is. At my job, unfortunately, I, I do have to kind of mask because I know some of my autistic tendencies could get me in trouble. Mm -hmm. I work in a, a warehouse and you know, part of that, I would have to, there are times I'll want to be as honest as I can, but I know my honesty could get me in trouble. And so I get, and I get anxiety ridden too, when, you know, you're trying to mask that as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you get, you get burnt out and that happens. And then some days I have a good day and, you know, I don't feel burnt out. So, yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's just some situations where it's like, you know, if I'm in a job interview, often ask because I don't even say in the interview that I, I have autism. I, I tell them like after the fact, after I've been working there for a while. So, yeah. you know, yeah, that's always a, a tricky thing because you're totally right. I mean, there are people who will treat you differently and will treat you in a condescending way if they know you're autistic. So you, you do sometimes have to be careful about, you know, who you are sort of out to as autistic. Yeah. And personally, like, you know, I'm pretty sure you feel this way too. It's nothing to be ashamed of and nothing that Absolutely. we should Absolutely. have to, you know, you know, dance around. This is like something like, it's something more, a lot of people deal with and people deal with it differently and it affects people differently. Yeah. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, because it is a disability at the end of the day. Like you see someone who's blind, you know, you don't treat them like a baby and all that. You just help them with what they need help with. Yeah. You see someone who's deaf, you don't treat them like a baby. You help them what they need help with. It should be the same with people with autism. You shouldn't treat any of us like a baby. If we need help with something or accommodations, just help us out. Right. I do feel like that's, um, yeah, we're getting a little bit into the weeds here, but I think, but you know, I, I'm fine with it. I think that is really like uh, a very radical idea is that if we actually had a society that was built to accommodate disabled people, it would mean that we would have to have a whole system that basically just acknowledged that everybody needs help with some things and didn't, you know, make everybody, you know, make somebody pay through the nose for those accommodations or jump through a bunch of hoops to get those accommodations, but just to kind of realize, hey, part of being a person is that you can't do everything for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. We all need help in life. So getting back to your music a little bit, could you talk about yeah. some of your <laughs> musical, uh, musical influences? Who are songwriters that you, or musicians yeah. that you really look up to? Well, like I said, I love Sondheim. Um, mm -hmm. Neil Young. Uh, I love Neil Young. My dad. Oh yeah. Um, Journey. I grew up listening to Journey. Stevie Wonder. Um, I like Frank Sinatra as a singer. Pearl Jam. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce was actually my first concert ever. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And I saw him with Clarence Clemens right before he died. So oh, amazing. Wow. I, I, I got lucky with that. Um, Cause you're a Jersey guy. So that's important to you. Yeah, exactly. And, that's and like bon seeing the Pope for a Catholic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, bon Jovi too. I've seen Bon Jovi, unfortunately without Richie Sambora. Uh, uh -huh. But the guy they got was an amazing guitarist. Uh, there's quite a few others. Uh, the Beatles, of course. I mean, that should be in everyone's, uh, recommended in my opinion. Mm -hmm. 
Queen, uh, Melissa Etheridge, ACDC. So I just like, I have a, a plethora of people that I, yeah. I listen to. I notice a lot of those people have a kind of epic quality to their music. I definitely hear that in your music as well. Is that something you kind of consciously go for? Um, you know, not really. I mean, they can be. My songs could go either way. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, Sticks, even now that you mentioned epic, uh, epicness, uh, I saw them in concert too. Uh, they they were amazing. Uh, but you know, someone you know, it could have gone either way. It, it went for the epicness, but it also could have worked as its own, like you know, smaller, more intimate acoustic uh, version. You know, that's actually what I intended it to be. But then Viku, the music producer, like he kind of showed me he could work as the as an epic kind of song too, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that works. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like it, they could go either way. Do you play your music live a lot? Like, do you do do gigs and and uh, open mics and stuff? I do. Uh, when I get the chance, well, since things are starting to open up, you know, uh -huh. I'll probably start doing it again. I personally, though, like even though I do play guitar. I need a guitarist uh, to go with me to gigs because, um, you know, I'm a singer first and foremost, but I have a hard time. And this could be my autism, too. I have a hard time. I could sing and play guitar, but I lose vocal technique. And mm -hmm. if I do it for a while, I'll lose my voice uh, a quarter of a way through the gig. Whereas <laughs> if I have a guitarist playing my songs for me alongside of me or if I have like my, play them on my phone and connect into the speaker, uh, I won't have to worry about losing my voice so quickly. So, yeah, you know, that's like one thing I, you know, that I would personally need, but I would love to go out and play again. I love to be, do theater, play my own songs, go out and gig again. I miss that. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Me I mean? too. Me too. Do you feel like I, I've talked to some people too, who've, who've said that as autistic people, uh, the pandemic has been kind of a relief because it's like, okay, I don't have to interact with strangers. I have to, you know, everybody, I don't have to, you know, show facial expressions because I have a mask on. I, I don't have to hug people, you know. Do you feel any of that sense or do you just feel like, thank God, this is almost over? A little bit of both. Like on one hand, because, you know, luckily I, I was employed through the pandemic because I was mm -hmm. considered essential. So mm -hmm. I, I did see people, but I haven't seen the same people for like every day. And, uh, you know, I do like going out, but also to it, it helped me learn about myself too. like, you know, I, I only like going out for when I really need stuff. You know, I'm not like a neurotypical person where I like to go out window shop. I need a purpose for me going out. And uh, yeah, like, you know, and the mask thing, it's like it did help me a little bit. It made me more confident. Like, you know, I, I learned how to like, you know, be more sociable, like with my eyes and like how to nod and all that. Mm -hmm. and you know not worry about what people were thinking of me because we all had something covering our face basically so mm -hmm. yeah the window shopping thing i relate to that a lot i remember as a kid just being like why did you go to a store if you didn't know what you wanted to buy there <laughs> or like not to buy anything at all yeah yeah i'm just like w stay home read a book like why are you at a store if you're not gonna buy anything exactly and i tried to do it myself and i just feel like i'm wasting time it's like uh-huh. Yeah. The, like I went to Walmart today and I like, I just went in, I got what I needed and I left and I left while well, the same people I entered with were still shopping. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like, <laughs> there's just certain things that neurotypical people do that I still do not understand. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I'm yeah. Maybe we should do maybe we should do like a podcast where we interview neurotypicals about what it's like to be neurotypical. Maybe that'd be just <laughs> as informative as this podcast. That would be amazing. <laughs> Spotlight on this strange community. Um, I I wonder. So do so. You work in the at the warehouse, and then you have your music, and you have your online life. Do people do? Are there people that you work with every day who follow you on TikTok and see you having all these, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers? Do those worlds intersect at all? Uh, you know, uh, there's a couple people that follow me, but you know, like they, a lot of people don't have TikTok because I'm one of the younger people there. Uh-huh. But in a way, I, I feel like that works. I, you know, at work, I'd rather not all of them see my TikToks. Uh, yeah, y- you know, because uh, it, it's like a separate life for me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Sure. Like, so it's, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, plus I wouldn't want like, for some reason, if I, for some reason, say something that they don't like that they go to my job and then like, you know, it's like, Oh, like, cause I, I don't really talk about my job a lot at my, on my TikTok, mm-hmm. you know, or at all really like maybe when I go live on TikTok, I'll just say what I do. But, um, other than that, like, you know, like I'd rather like keep it separate. Totally. Um, I feel like we keep veering off of your music, but let, let me, let me, no, no, it's my fault. I just keep asking you other questions. <laughs> but, oh no, that's, um, that's autism for you. I, I keep veering too. So. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. So I, I'd like to talk about the music video for someone, which I, I really thought was uh, fantastic. And you're, you're singing the video as well. So I got a sense of what it would be like to maybe see you live, even though we can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about the process of making that music video? Was, uh, how involved were you with uh, kind of conceiving the idea of it and everything? Uh, well, my PR uh, team, they, they came up with the idea of it. But the way it was filmed is actually pretty cool. So there was my part where you see me singing the song. We filmed that here in a studio in New Jersey. And the other part, there's a couple in the video. One of them is uh, the girl. She's a person who works for uh, my PR manager. And she had her, that's her actual boyfriend in the video oh wow and they filmed their part in tennessee with a different videographer so you know both videographers work together and they the one in tennessee edited both the videos together to make it just seem very seamless so it was it was a fun day to shoot because like the guy i filmed with was a dude from staten island and we filmed at a studio we all just like it it we just all had a good time filming and we took pictures that day too it was just a fun day and i enjoyed it yeah the video of you singing really looks great i mean you you did a really wonderful job with that thank you i was actually singing along to the track that's i'm not actually singing live in the in the video i was actually singing along to my track where i was already singing but like we i sang along with it to make it seem like i was actually singing it so Uh uh-huh Right, because they're not recording the audio when they do a music video, because it's just the video that then goes with the audio from the song, right? Yeah. Ah, cool. How many times did you have to sing the song to get the video? Uh, (laughs) A lot. Like Uh, dozens, probably, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, easily, because like we had to do, okay, we're going to do it from this angle. Okay, we're going to do it from this angle. I want you to turn around and sing it in this angle, like... So it's like we had so many different takes just for different angles. So, yeah, that's so different from TikTok where you just kind of fire up your phone and, you know, say something off the top of your head or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Some videos are planned and some videos I just like uh, can be in the spur of the moment thing. And with TikTok, you only get 60 seconds. 
and per video and you do it all on your phone. So that that's pretty cool. Yeah. There's one one video that I thought was particularly funny where you got your vaccine where you show your vaccine card and you say, Well guys, I finally did it. I finally got a software update for my autism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because uh, there was another a, a few of us have been saying, Oh, we're getting software updated on TikTok and it's funny because you know, we're there's that myth that vaccines cause autism. Uh-huh. And she was uh, like, you know, it's like that's our like little joke on it. And so yeah. like, it's just it's such a stupid myth. <laughs> yeah. And like, but I like that you approach it with a sense of humor, you know, that it's not yeah. just like, uh, I mean, sometimes it can feel a little dry to have to dispel these same stereotypes again and again. But if you kind of approach it with a different angle, maybe, maybe it's, you can keep it fresh a little bit more. Yeah. I like being funny because I, I like making people laugh. That's one of my favorite things to do is just making people laugh. I'm that guy at work who always tells jokes. I'll look up jokes online and tell the people at work at jokes and they laugh. Yeah. So, and with my music too, I used to do some funny songs too. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, I had a song called "Goodbye Felicia" based off that term "Bye Felicia." Uh huh. Um, not my best song, but it was a funny song. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, a couple others. So you know, along with entertaining people, I like making people laugh, which is another form of entertainment. Basically. Mm-hmm. So I just like to be an entertainer. For me, I feel like my sense of humor is often taking things very literally that are not meant literally and kind of making a, I don't know, kind of a dad joke about that. So that feels very like connected to my autism. Do you feel like your sense of humor is is connected to your autism in any way that you've been able to figure out? Exactly. Yeah, I I definitely say so. That's actually a big reason why I like uh, British humor. Mm-hmm. Because it is such a dry sense of humor, yeah. It, and uh, that you know, I, I love British humor so much. Yeah. But like when I tell jokes, sometimes or if I'm sarcastic, because I don't know a lot about inflection. Mm-hmm. When it comes to being sarcastic, people neurotypicals tend to take it literally, so they get to know what I feel like when they joke. So, because sometimes yeah. like. At work, the guys will be messing with me, and I think they're being serious. Like, oh no, we're we're just joking. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that can be hard to tell sometimes if somebody, you know, especially when people are kind of being mean to each other, and you think, you know, is this really? Are these people really okay with it, or are they just, you know, are they just joking to kind of go along with it? Or yeah, know, like I saw these. Yeah, I saw these two two people getting loud with each other, and I thought, oh god, they're, this is awkward. And then, like, and I was like, are you okay? And they go, no, dude, we were joking. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so that's, that's something that can be difficult. Yeah. I know one person whose sense of humor involves a lot of like pretending to be upset. And I'm like, I, you know, I get that this is like how you like to make a joke, but I sure hate it. (laughs) That's, that's the worst. There are dudes at work that do that. And I just, I hate it so much because I feel so guilt ridden. I feel like I'm the worst person in the world. Oh no, I'm still going to like, come on, man. Yeah. Um, One thing I noticed in your videos is you seem to have a couple of tattoos. Do you want to talk about those at all? I know a lot of people with tattoos uh, feel like they have a a lot of significance for them. Well, my arms, uh, maximum effort, you know, my forearms, those are my first ones. Um, You know, it's a quote by Deadpool, maximum effort. But, you know, it's also something I live by because, you know, no matter what I do, I'm a hard worker. I put 100% in of everything I do, hence the term maximum effort. And I feel like that's that comes from my autism. I don't know how it is with you, like, you know, because like, um, you know, when I'm tasked to do something, I do it. 
like it's just you know nothing else matters but that task and you know that helps me with my music it helps me when i do shows helps me when i do my tiktok and it helps me at work so uh that's the significance there uh then i got a zoro tattoo uh closer to my shoulder because when i was little one of my special interests was zoro and i would dress up as zoro i had the mask the cape the hat I had this sword and I had a metal book bed and whenever I would play a Zora movie, cause I had a bunch, I'd put them on. And when the sword fights happened, I would do the sword fights with my bed. And so it, it was a sentimental thing for me. And then I have a Virgo tattoo. Um, uh, cause I'm a Virgo. It's my Zodiac sign. And honestly, that was just a straight up impulse buy. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> it, it was two weeks before my birthday. It was like, you know what? It's almost my birthday. I want another tattoo. And I got it. And this is back when I was into fitness and all muscly and jacked. Like, I want a tattoo that looks good with my muscles. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, because of the pandemic, I haven't been going to the gym. And, you know, I'm just like very plain looking now. And there's just a tattoo there. So, you yeah. know. Yeah, I feel like everybody's first tattoo is like, this is something my grandma whispered to me with her with her last breath. And then they're like third or fourth or fifth tattoo is like, I don't know, I thought it looked cool. So I got it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah that's basically what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I uh, have have run out of questions I've prepared. Is there anything else you feel like uh, you'd, you'd like to let our listeners know about? Well, since we're on the topic of tattoos, do you have any? I do not. I, I have an idea for a tattoo that I would get if I, you know, gun to my head, someone made me, but I don't ha- I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, what is it? It's a line. It's actually from a song by, do you know, Bill Callahan? I've heard of him. He's a, he's a songwriter and he's got a, a song called I'm new here. And there's a line where he says, no matter how far wrong you've gone, you can always turn around. And that's, that's definitely good. an idea that's close to, to my heart. That's good. Yeah, man. Why don't you like go ahead with it? You know, maybe I will. Things are opening up. Maybe I'll get a tattoo appointment. That's my my partner's always pressuring me to do that. So maybe I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know, here's one thing. Like people on TikTok, they say I have tattoos. Like, oh, it was difficult for you to get tattoos, you know, with your sensory issues and all that. And I'm like, not really. It just felt like, I, you know, and I hate needles. I, I personally yeah. hate getting needles. The ones on my forearms really hurt, personally, because the guy uh did it within a half hour which is pretty quick for a tattoo mm-hmm. and uh, they were my first ones and it was in the sensitive area but the other two like didn't really hurt that much so um y- you know like I, there was a last halloween i dressed up as the joker and i had face paint on my face like did it bother you with your sensory issues and i'm like no for me it just feels like there's makeup on my face like i yeah. did theater and like you're in theater when you're on stage you have to wear makeup so you know so, like, when the spotlights are on you, you don't look like a ghost. So, wearing makeup doesn't bother me and all that. It's like people like, oh, like, I get questions from parents. And one, one thing I want to say from TikTok is, you know, I'm appreciative to all the people that follow me and people leave comments and all the nice words. One thing that gets me upset, though, and it's mostly from the parents, it's like, oh, you gave me so much hope for my child. And, oh, you gave me so much hope for my son. And they ask me for advice. Like, my child's not verbal yet. How do I get them to talk and all that? It's like... Here's my my thing. Like I I have autism, but that doesn't make me an autism expert. And uh, like, right? No. It's and like it doesn't mean that your experience is the same as their kid. You know, it's like your exactly. kid might never be verbal. That's fine. Like, I mean, you know, there's certainly there are difficulties with that. But like, just because you know you can talk and write songs doesn't mean that 
any other person with autism could do those same things. Just like that wouldn't be true of any neurotypical person, you know? Exactly. And there's other ways to communicate besides talking. Yeah. So like, you know, because like I said before, if you've met one autistic person, you met one autistic person. Yeah. Has that been hard for you? Kind of people coming to you and, and treating you like some kind of a, you know, autism guru. It, it has because like, you know, it's like, I want to answer these people's questions, but I also want to be brutally honest and say like, listen, like do not, the one thing you should do as a parent of a person with autism is never wish for them to be like someone else. Mm-hmm. Love them as they are. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, if you keep trying to make, want them to be like someone else, and this could work for neurotypical kids too. Absolutely. It could be, be very damaging. So, you know, that's like something, you know, I, I would want to put out there. Just love your, love your child as they are. They can't help it. Yeah. Well, I think that's as good a note to end on as any, Corey. Thanks so much for being on the program. I really enjoyed getting to talk to you. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye, Andrew. Once again, that was Corey Singer. You can find links to some of his wonderful music in the show notes of this episode. Talk to you next time.